Hey everyone, thanks for stopping in to listen to my latest sermon. It will begin in just a minute. Before it does, I want to ask a few things of you. First, if you are a regular listener to this podcast and you listen on some type of podcast host, would you subscribe? If you do that, then you'll be notified immediately when a new podcast is uploaded. And plus, we have some other audio content in the works, and if you'll subscribe, you'll be one of the first people to know about that. Along those same lines, if you find this podcast and these sermons to be helpful to your life, would you do us a favor and leave us a rating or review on your podcast host? Doing so helps our sermons be heard by more people, and as I've said before, we think that's really important. And finally, if you're a regular listener to this podcast, it would be great if you would consider making a financial donation. You can do that by going to creeksidebiblechurch.org/give. And actually one more thing, if God uses this sermon in any way to impact your life, please let me know about it. You can do so by emailing respond@creekside.me. It would Give me great joy to know that God used my words. Again, thanks for listening. I hope that this sermon will help you to learn and live more fully for Jesus. So I've mentioned this before, which will illustrate how much of a profound impact it had on me, but uh, the first death of any creature that I was close to that I ever experienced was my dog when I was 17 years old. And uh, before that... You know, and many of you can can kind of attest to this, it it might not have been your dog, it might have been someone more important, like a grandparent, or maybe even a parent, or a a sibling, Uh, God forbid, but it it may be something more important, but for me it was this dog, and and just, it was like the first time where you deal with, and you know this, if you've experienced the loss of someone you're close to, it's like, they're gone, and they're not coming back. And as I say uh, to people who are mourning, because I think it's way better than the cliche things we sometimes think, death sucks, and it's final, and it's done. And I remember, like, finding out after a baseball game that my dog had died, and this is is just a dog, right? So you know it's probably worse if you, it was like your grandparent or whatever, Um, but I, I was, like, taking my shower after this baseball game, and I started to hyperventilate in the shower. I, I crawled into bed. I, I just couldn't stop crying. And, and it's because it's like, it's, it's gone, you know? I mean, Checkers was gone. And I was never going to experience, and I've said this to you before, the things that, that I had experienced with him. I had him from the time I was four to 17, like my, my whole life, you know? My whole life I had had Checkers in it. And now that was gone, and th- those things were going to be gone forever that, that he brought to my life. And uh, when Bryn and I were newly married and, and we wanted to have a dog, I wanted a dog more than a kid. Uh, and, uh, and the hang-up was the knowledge that my dog would die. It's the reason that turtles are better pets. You have to leave them in your will. Um, <laughs> I knew from like day one, and this is, this makes me sound like such a depressing person, but maybe I am somewhere inside of me, but like from the moment we bought Roy, there was like this this countdown in my head 
like we might have 12 years here, you know, just big dog. Like we might get 12 years. And there was hardly a week where I didn't think this is going to end and it's going to be terrible and I'm going to hate it and I'm going to be reliving what I lived when I was 17 years old and I like nothing about it. Uh, death is, is this part of life. And now I'm going to say the most depressing thing that hopefully I'll say in a sermon all year, okay? Uh, so bear with me. I'll set it up that way. I hope it's all uphill from here in this sermon and pretty much for the rest of you know my preaching life. Um, but here it is. The moment you're born... <laughs> There's a countdown until you die. And we all know that. We try to ignore it. And when we're kids, we may not understand it. But from the time we're born, we are moving towards the end. Now, a little better news for, you know, some of you, maybe if you're under these ages, but but, but scientists kind of say that, that we're on the uphill from 0 to 25 if we're ma- males. And then at 25, really, we start the countdown. <laughs> and for females, it's like 0 to 27, you're, kinda, you're kind of going uphill. You're feeling good. You know, you're improving. And then at 27, uh, good news, slow downhill. But you are literally moving downhill until one day you, you will die. And people will be sad, hopefully, and it will be, it will be the end for you. And, and it's depressing. We don't like to think about it. We don't like to talk about it, especially, you know, in our culture. We, we dance around it all the time. We don't even use the word dead. We use the word passed away or in a better place. You know, we don't even like to say, like, that person died. It's weird, right? Like, like you would, if you ask, like, hey, you would never be like, hey, did your grandma die? You would never say it like that because, because it sounds like mean for whatever reason, you know? Uh, and yet, we all know that it's what we face. We're going, we are going to die. We're going to die. And, and the great, beautiful thing is that Jesus' resurrection for us does something about that. And we're going to look at this, this beautiful, I mean it is a beautiful passage of scripture in Romans chapter 8 uh, when you really stop to think about it. However, we don't. I think if anything, we've talked a lot about things that we take for granted when it comes to the work that Jesus did by dying and rising again in this series. Like the fifth week that I've said take for granted multiple times in my sermon. You know, we take for granted what Jesus has done for us, but perhaps more than any other thing in all of the Christian faith that we who are Christians, especially a long time, take for granted is what we'll see in this passage about what Jesus' death and resurrection does about this problem that we all face called death. We are going to die, but Romans 8, beginning in the beginning, says, hey, wait a minute. When Jesus got out of the grave, he did something about that. Romans 8.1 is where it starts, and this is, this is just a great verse. Like, 
If I've said something depressing, now I'm going to say something that's as good as anything you're ever going to read in the Bible. I mean, this is, a, this is one of those verses that, that you'd want to get tattooed on yourself if you're not against tattoos, you know? I mean, this is not a verse that, that Christians don't like to pay attention to. There's plenty of those. This is one we really, really like and we should cling to and you should memorize it. And this is what Paul says to us in Romans 8.1. Therefore, there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Condemnation translates a word that means something to the effect in Greek of the sentence pronounced against. There is no more sentence pronounced against those who are in Christ Jesus. In fact, the no in this passage is emphatic. Like it has an exclamation point. They don't have exclamation points, but that's how we do it in English. The no is emphatic. It's all capitals. I mean, it's italicized, bolded, and all capitals. Like, hey, Paul wants us to understand. Look, there is no, no condemnation. There is no sentence pronounced against you who are in Christ Jesus, which means that if you've become a Christian, There is no condemnation for you. The sad reality that I see for many people, many of you even in our church, is that we continue to live as condemned people even when we have moved in Christ Jesus. I know a lot of people who believe that Jesus died, he rose again, they're forgiven for their sins, but they continue to hold themselves condemned. They continue to place guilt upon themselves. They continue to feel bad for things, even things that they did years and years and years ago. They continue to live as a condemned person. And Paul shows up here, he writes in Romans 8, hey, I want you to understand that there's therefore now no condemnation for those of you who are in Christ Jesus who have become Christians. In Colossians 2, 13 through 15, it says this, when you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having canceled the charge of our legal indebtedness, which stood against us and condemned us. He has taken it away, nailing it to the cross, and having disarmed the powers and authorities, he has made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. That's a lot, right? But it says, hey, here's how you got uncondemned. Here's how there's no condemnation for you. Here's how there's no sentence against you, despite the fact that you are a sinful sinner. When Jesus hung on the cross, it was as if all the things that you had done wrong were nailed there with it, and God completely took them away from you. M.L. Lone, an author, said he was for us in the place of condemnation. We are in him where all condemnation has spent its force. All the condemnation that we deserved, all the condemnation that our sin caused was all nailed on a cross. When Jesus was nailed on the cross, there was no more left for us. And so every time you hold a sin over your head, over yourself, and you feel guilty, and you hold on to it, and you say, well, God won't forgive this, I'll be honest with you. You neglect, you minimize the work that Jesus did for us on the cross. Because when he died on the cross, our sins were nailed on the cross. 
And there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Now, here's, here's something we're going to come back to a lot, but I have these cones here because, because this is the language that, that Paul kind of uses. Uh, we're going to see this word realm come up in this passage. And, and for Paul, when he talks about the new life that we're talking about in this series, Paul thinks of it often in terms of two realms. And I didn't really know how to illustrate a realm what is that you know but but I think cones will do and and when you're a kid and we do this at VBS even like if you're on one team or the other team and you're doing like a relay then you might line up behind one of the different cones in order to show what side you're on and and to make a distinction between you and the other team and and if you remember and if you've been a part of our VBS which is it will be here in July then you know like kids feel a need to mingle and you're like get behind your cone over and over and over to try to keep the game organized but for Paul this is kind of the idea of a new life this idea of transferring realms it's as if Paul's saying hey you were standing over here And we'll see what standing over here means in just a minute. Some of the things that Paul connects to standing in this realm. But when you say, Jesus, I understand I'm a sinner. I understand that you died for my sins and I want to give you my life, then, then not only like do you take a step somewhere, you know, you, you become slightly better, you don't move up in front of life. You actually, you transfer realms. That's the language that Paul uses. You, you make a complete switch to a different realm uh, the way I think of it and this may not connect with any of you but when I was about six years old I played uh, far too many video games and uh, for me which will date me younger than some of you and older than some of you but it will date me it was all about Mario Brothers 3 uh, and Mario Brothers 3 one of the greatest games ever to live they don't know how to make video games anymore uh, but you would go down if you know if you know Mario Brothers at all you'd go down this little green thing I'm not sure they have names. A little tube looked like a pipe. They were probably pipes because he was a plumber. Uh, and you'd go down these pipes. I just made that association. My mind is blown. My whole world has been changed. Um, but you'd go down these pipes, and, and you could, in some of these pipes, warp to a, a different world. And Mario Brothers 3, actually, I think the world record is somebody beat it in like three and a half minutes or something because you can warp to these different worlds. And the worlds were entirely different in how they looked and who you fought and what things did and all this stuff. And, and that's how I pictured it. I thought the cones were easier to illustrate because they were here and, you know. But, but for me, it's like we go down through Jesus, the the pipe, and then we are transferred, according to Paul, into this entirely new realm. And we're gonna see what's different about this new realm in in these next few verses. And here's how Paul continues. Because, this is why, because through Christ Jesus, the law of the Spirit who gives life has set you free from the law of sin and death. Now we've talked about law in this series quite a bit and if you haven't listened to the prior sermons in the series go back and, and catch up I think they're pretty good uh, and uh, Paul has, has said about the law look the law the, this, this set of rules that we've had for thousands of years that were written down in what we now call the Old Testament I mean these these laws will never get you into heaven you can never follow them perfectly enough to get yourself into a relationship with God it can't happen And here Paul comes along and he says, look, the law of the Spirit who gives life. And it's interesting because 
commentators are divided and, and they're like, wait, can the law actually give life? And, and I think it can. The law can give life because the law can point you to Jesus. But it can also be the law of sin and death that doesn't give you life if you just keep trying to follow it. You see that? If you go, wait a minute, there's too many laws. I can't follow all of them. What am I going to do about it? Oh, there's the story of Jesus. I'll give my life to Jesus. Then the law in some ways has, has provided life for you. But if you're like, I will keep fighting and keep striving and keep working and keep trying and I'll do better tomorrow and then I'll work my way into heaven, then, then it's just the law of sin and death. It will leave you with the same problem that I mentioned at the beginning. A clock ticking down and towards your inevitable end. But perhaps Paul means this in the more general sense that before you came to Christ, before you switched realms, there was this power over you. It was the power of sin and death. You could not break free from them. You could not be removed from them. You could not uh, break the stronghold that they had over your life. But in Christ, in this new realm, that old law, that old power that you were under has been replaced by a new one, and it's simply this. It's, it's life, life. And it all happens by being in Christ. What Paul says, and, and we'll get deeper into this in the next few verses, but, but what Paul is saying here is simply this. Before Christ, when you were in this realm, You were going to sin and you were going to die. But if you've transferred realms by giving your life to Jesus, by becoming a Christian, if you've transferred, then this new life is a life that has an end that is life. Death, life. That's the biggest difference between the old realm and the new realm. Death and life. You had an inevitable ending of death here and in the new realm, if you're in Christ, you have an inevitable ending of life. That's the main reason there's no condemnation for you because the condemnation that we ultimately deserved because we were unable to live out the law of God because we all have been disobedient to God, the condemnation that we deserved was not just the feeling of guilt. It wasn't just the knowledge that we could never live up. It was bigger. And, and the condemnation that we all deserved was eternal death. Eternal death. But when we transfer realms and we become in Christ, we move into Christ, there is no condemnation because we now have life. Listen to what Romans 3, 8, 3 and 4 says. For what the law was powerless to do, because it was weakened by the flesh, God did by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh to be a sin offering. And so he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirements of the law might be fully met in us who do not live according to the flesh, but according to the Spirit. Paul says, hey, that law thing, and we talked a lot about this a couple of weeks ago, but, but it's, it's here again. Paul, Paul's making a big deal out of this, right? I mean, you can tell it's coming up in every chapter of the book of Romans. Hey, that law, that set of rules that God had given, it was powerless to give you life. Why? Why? 
if it was good and God gave it to us? I mean, why was it powerless to give us life? Because, because it was weakened by the flesh. That means our flesh could not live up to the standards of the law. If God had given us the law and we were able to fulfill it perfectly, perhaps it may have given us life, but it was weakened by the flesh. It was weakened by our sinful desires. It was weakened by our passions. It was weakened by our desire to do things that are contrary to the nature and will of God. And so we were disobedient, and so therefore, while we were in this realm following the law, it was absolutely powerless to bring us life. But this is what happens according to Paul here. God did something about it. He sent his son, a man that we know by the name of Jesus. Jesus came here, he fulfilled perfectly the law. Perfectly he fulfilled the law. And at the end of his life, he was condemned to the cross as we've already said. He was nailed to the cross. and He died there as a sin offering for us. A sin offering points back to the Old Testament. This was the situation before Jesus for all of the Jewish people. That They would try to fulfill the law while they lived in this realm. They would try to fulfill the law. They'd try hard to fulfill the law to do everything God had told them that they needed to do. And they would mess up. And so then to appease God, to continue to have some semblance of a great relationship with God, they had to kill an animal. They had to make a sacrifice of blood in order to continue to maintain the relationship with God that they had. And this would happen all the time. Tens of thousands of animals were slaughtered during the Passover meal that happened one of year, once a year for the sins of the people. Tens of thousands. And that's not to count the amount of sacrifices that were being made on a daily and weekly basis. These people were constantly killing animals in order to say, God, we're sorry, we're sorry, we're sorry. And then God looks down, says, I will send my son, Jesus. He will be a perfect sacrifice because he will be without sin. In fact, he will be the very son of God and he will die for your sins as the sin offering. And this is what it says, let me just repeat it. And so he condemned sin. He condemned that sin in his flesh, in the flesh. Now notice this, this part's so beautiful. It's one of those things, and there's so much in Romans that doesn't make sense. People try to explain it, but it's just, it's beyond, I believe, what we can truly comprehend or at least comprehend the greatness of, but we can understand it a little bit, just how great it is. And so he condemned in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fully met in us. He died on that cross in order that we could perfectly fulfill the law. Now there's two ways to understand that, but they're equally awesome and and maybe we can just see it as both. The first is this, when we break the law, when we lived in this realm and we broke the law, ultimately we deserve to be punished. We deserve death. And so by dying on our behalf, Jesus fulfilled the law. He paid the punishment that we deserved. It's as if somebody, and this is how it's often illustrated, paid your ticket, your speeding ticket for you. It still had to be paid for the law to be met, but if somebody wrote the check for you, then the law would have been fulfilled. And when Jesus died on your behalf as the sinless sacrifice, the law was met. And now you get life. But it also might mean something to this effect. When Jesus died, it became as though we had perfectly fulfilled the law. 
it's like this. We are treated as if we had not been disobedient to God because Jesus was treated as though he had been disobedient to God. You're innocent because of what Jesus has done for you. There is no longer any condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because of what Jesus did on our behalf. Now, just pause because this is so easy to skip over. This is so easy to not think about. It's so easy to just uh, lose this in kind of the moment and not really think about how incredible it is. But I mean, just think about all the things that you've done wrong. All the times that you've been a jerk. All the times that you have looked at people as objects. All the times that you have have not done the things that you know you're supposed to do. All the times that you've lied to someone. All the times that you've treated people just poorly or, or in a mean way. I mean, all, all of that stuff. Everything that you've done. Everything that you regret. Everything that you know in your life. If I wouldn't have done it, it would have been better. If I, if I could go back in time, I wouldn't do it again. And we have those moments on, on a daily basis, it seems like. But we also have those big moments that we can look back on five, ten years later and go, I know without hesitation or without a doubt that I did wrong there. And Paul says here, because of the work that Jesus did on the cross when he died the most brutal, horrific death that's ever been died, you now who move into this realm are treated as innocent as though you have fulfilled the law. And because of that, you get life. Because Jesus died, you get life. That's awesome. Again, it's one of those things that's like, how does that work, you know? How did somebody die for me? What does that even mean? Nah, I don't really know. But I believe it to be true. And it's incredible if it is true. When we transfer realms, we go from guilty to innocent. And therefore, we go from death being inevitable to life. And Paul continues in Romans 8, excuse me, he continues in Romans 8, 5 through 8. Those who live according to the flesh have their minds set on what the flesh desire. But those who live according to what, in accordance with the spirit have their minds set on what the spirit desires. The mind governed by the flesh is death, but the mind governed by the spirit is life and peace. The mind governed by the flesh is hostile to God. It does not submit to God's law, nor can it do so. Those who are in the realm of the flesh cannot please God. Now this word mind that Paul uses goes beyond just what we think. It actually is a reference to like all the faculties of the soul and reason and understanding and affections. It's like what makes you make a decision. And we don't often think about what causes us to make a decision, but there's probably a lot that goes into our, our decisions, right? And, and what Paul means by mind is really what, what drives your decisions, what drives your goals and ambitions and wants and desires, what drives that. And in this realm over here, what drives that is you. What you feel, what you want, what you think is good for you, what makes you feel more happy, all of those things, but in the new realm, and this is the easiest way to tell what realm you're in, in the new realm, what drives your decisions and your ambitions and your goals and all the stuff I just said is a desire to please God. I mean, Paul says, hey, hey, I just want you to understand this. Over there, you're guilty. 
And death is inevitable. Over here, you're innocent because of what Jesus has done. And life is what you have to look forward to. And here's how you can tell. That's important, right? I mean, how can you tell if you've transferred realms? And the the simple, easy answer is, this realm, your life will be driven by a desire to fulfill yourself, by a desire to do the things that you want that feel good. And in this realm, you will be driven by a desire to please, honor, and glorify God. Now, we'll have moments where the old realm kind of creeps in, you know. We'll forget what we're doing. But for the most part, if we're in this realm, our lives will be driven by desire to glorify God. And Paul continues down this line. He says in Romans 8, 9 through 11, You, however, are not in that realm of the flesh, but are in the realm of the Spirit, if indeed the Spirit of God lives in you. And if anyone does not have the Spirit of Christ, they do not belong to Christ. But if Christ is in you, then even though your body is subject to death because of sin, the Spirit gives life because of righteousness. And if the Spirit of Him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, He who raised Christ from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies because of His Spirit who lives in you you the reason the reason that our lives look so different in these realms is because what we believe and what the bible teaches is that in this realm we just live according to what we feel and we can see and we can taste and we can touch but when we transfer when we give our lives to christ we are indwelled that's how paul describes it elsewhere we are indwelled by the spirit of god and the spirit of god leads us And as he leads us, our lives begin to look different because we begin to live in order to please God in accordance with his spirit that comes inside of you. That's another one of those things, right? That's like, what, the Holy Spirit of God indwells me? That's weird and crazy. But those of us who know the Christian life, we've felt it, we've sensed it. I mentioned it a few weeks ago. It's that voice that says, look, this is wrong. Do it this way. It's that voice that says, I know this feels better, but God has a better way for you. It's that voice that says, I want to be selfish, but don't be. Do what you're going to do for the glory of God and for the love of others. And Paul says, hey, the reason that the life in, that life in this realm is so different is because the Holy Spirit comes inside of you. Now, let me, it would be easy just to skip over and say, hey, you're probably okay. As Paul says here, he says, hey, I'm confident that you who I'm writing to are in the Spirit, but I wanna be confident that you are in the Spirit too, that you are in the right realm. And so I would just, I would just, I just wanna stop and say, hey, let's make this so clear that if your life is not any different than it was before you came to Christ, then you might be fooling yourself. You might just think that you're in that realm if your life looks exactly like it has always looked, if there is no tangible difference, if you cannot see God doing something in you, then perhaps you're just saying, well, yeah, I think I'm in that realm, only because you like that realm better. You like the idea of that realm. You like the idea of life. You like the idea of a God who would step out of heaven to die for you. You like it. But perhaps you haven't gone down the pipe yet if your life looks no different. Because, as Paul Paul says, when you give your life to Jesus, when you move into Christ, your life will look different because the Holy Spirit indwells you and he leads you and he guides you. He changes you. And I I just tell you, I, I I don't want anybody that goes to this church to think that they're in this realm while they're still in that realm. Because, because again, one more time, over here, 
we are innocent and the problem of death is overcome. And I want that for you specifically because of what Paul says at the end of this. He says, hey, here's the deal. The reason, the reason that you now can have life is because of the story of Jesus. The reason that you can know that this realm has life is because of what Jesus has done. And what did Jesus do? I'll repeat it. He came from heaven to earth. He lived sinlessly. And then, this is the part that Paul focuses on, he died for your sins. But the story wasn't over because Easter happened. Jesus got out of the grave. And Paul says here, I mean, just notice the language. He says, and if the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead is living in you, if that's the truth, the spirit of God who raised Jesus back to life is inside of you, then it only makes sense that he will also give life to your mortal bodies. It only makes sense that the problem of death will be overcome if the same spirit who gave life to Jesus even though he was dead, he was crucified, he died, he was buried, if that same spirit that gave him life again lives in you, it only makes sense that despite the fact that when you were born and the clock starts ticking, you will die someday, despite that fact, you will have life once again. Now, if you've been a Christian a long time, you're like, of course I get this. I mean, this is the most cliche sermon of all time. But I just really want you to think about how great that is this morning. I uh, discovered, I had this, I was wrong, but I I had this movie in my head when I was writing this sermon uh, about a clock ticking down until you died. And... uh, And I was actually thinking about a movie where a clock ticked down until you met the person that you were supposed to marry romantically. But I discovered there actually was a movie uh, with Justin Timberlake in it where you had a a little thing on your wrist with a countdown timer until you died. And it sounded like the most convoluted weird movie ever uh, because you could like buy more time and it was a whole deal to push down the poor and raise up the rich and uh and uh but it but it was an interesting concept and and the trailer was kind of emotional because these people are fighting for life and in fact Justin Timberlake being the most awesome man that he is Justin Timberlake uh he was able to steal a bunch of life according to the trailer and he started giving it out freely to people Now think about that and and maybe make Jesus kind of like Justin Timberlake, but don't repeat that to anybody, Um, except for the dancing. If Jesus dances like Justin Timberlake, you know, Uh, but think about how beautiful that is. The idea of a character who is infused with the gift of eternal life, saying, I want to give it to everybody. And that's what Jesus does for us. And you can imagine if you had a little thing on your wrist right now that was counting down and it said five years or 10 years or a day, how incredible it would be for somebody to show up on the scene. Say, hey, 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 hey. Here's eternal life. 
Wouldn't that be great? I mean, Justin Timberlake says in this movie, I even have a quote for you, had to Google it, said it in the preview. No one should be immortal, even if one person has to die. But the gospel story flipped it on his head and said everybody can be immortal because one person died. Bet you never thought a Justin Timberlake quote would be impactful, right? That's what the gospel story says. I was in Austin this week uh, for my cousin Jared's graduation, and uh, and I just I didn't have really anything to do. I, I finished my sermon while I was there, but we're just hanging out. And so you know those moments where you just get to hang out in life, and there's no responsibility. In fact, my phone. Uh, died this last week it's gone forever um I haven't buried it but it is a goner and and so really like I had nothing happening and and one of the nights we were just sitting outside um we were talking and and I just thought like how great of a moment is this I'm in Austin Texas it's warm and I'm sitting outside and we're talking about heaven and we're just talking and then I saw him graduate with his MBA from UT Austin, and uh, and I don't get prideful like this, but I was just really proud of him. He's he's one of the only people that in that whole program, hundreds of kids, and uh, one of the only people in that program that was able to uh, to really put himself through that program. Almost every other student. Uh, they come from a lot of money, um, a lot of money, and, and he put himself through that program, and, and I was just proud, and, and we walked around with family, seeing seeing all that he had done for the last couple years, looking at the campus, and um, eating great tacos, and hanging out, and and maybe because I was preaching this sermon this week, I don't know, but I, I was just struck at how beautiful life can be. And then I was struck with this. Even in those beautiful moments, I mean, I'm coming back to, you know, Wilsonville and I have responsibility and, uh, you know, life is going to become real very fast and, and even more, someday it's going to end on this earth. I mean, it's going to end. And, and what the gospel story says is that if you will give your life to Jesus and you will transfer from this realm to this realm, then you will be considered innocent and, and life will not stop someday. You will die, your heart will stop, you will breathe your last on this earth, but then the real life will begin and it will be even better. And I just wanna point out that when the Bible describes what eternity will look like, very rarely does it describe it in these, these images that we kind of conjure up when we think about heaven. I mean, very rarely is heaven described, it's not in fact, is sitting on a cloud playing a harp. That's not in there. But very rarely is it described with this, this imagery that is almost not understandable for us. It's usually described like in terms like this, a wedding party. That's beautiful to me. I like the idea of a graduation party that lasts forever and ever. I like the idea of sitting outside in warm weather, talking to the people I love forever with nothing difficult to come back to and with no clock on my wrist that says someday this will not happen anymore. 
I watched this video on Facebook the other day, and it'd be too long to play here, but uh, this video described life in video game terms, and if you like video games at all, then you should Google it and find it, but but the guy was really funny because he said, well, I'll give the brief version. You spend your first 18 years in tutorial mode, basically learning how to do the rest of life. And, and then uh, you'll discover after 18 years that it had nothing to do with what uh, you're going to be doing, um, which I thought was funny in and of itself. And then it said, you'll spend the middle portion of this game trying to uh, accrue resources to be able to do what you want. And, and you'll get to the end part of the game and you'll have the resources to do what you want but you won't be able to do them because your health will start failing <laughs> it's like it's depressing right I mean again not as depressing as hey you're dying but uh but it is a depressing thought but for those of us who transfer from this realm to this realm it's just not true because we will live this life on earth and we'll breathe our last but then the true life will start. And we'll be able to walk around Austin, Texas with our families. We'll be able to do the things we love without any threat of it ending. Steve Jobs had a very famous uh, commencement speech that he gave at Stanford. said, no one wants to die. Even people who want to go to heaven don't want to die to get there. And yet death is the destination we all share. No one has ever escaped it. And that is as it should be because death is very likely the single best invention of life. It is life's change agent. It clears out the old to make way for the new. Right now the new is you. But someday, not too long from now, you will gradually become the old and be cleared away. Sorry to be so dramatic, but it is quite true. Your time is limited. But what we know as Christians is that if we will transfer from this realm to this realm, if we will give our lives to Christ, if we will become Christians, then the reality is we gain a new life. That's what this series is all about. And I'll close by saying it this way because when you really stop to consider how beautiful life can be, this is a beautiful thought. Our new life in Christ is an eternal life. That's the difference that the resurrection makes. We have, all of us, all of us have a life that is mortal, that is limited. But our new life is eternal life because of what Christ did by dying and rising again. Let me pray for you. Lord Jesus, I thank you that I get to have great moments here on this earth, but I thank you even more that I will have greater moments in eternity. Lord, you know that, that for me, God, my hope, my hope in this life is in the next one. And I know that's not true for everybody, God, but for me it is. I, I just can't imagine, like Steve Jobs, Lord, just how depressing it would be if I thought the inevitable end was at the moment our hearts stopped beating. But I don't, God. I don't because the spirit who lives in me is the same spirit 
who raised you from the grave. And I pray, God, that every one of us here would no longer fear death. We would not even, God, we would not even dread death, God, because we would understand that our new life is an eternal life. Lord, if there is any person here who is not transferred from the old realm to the new realm, if they have not obtained their new life in you, I pray, God, that they would make a decision now to give themselves to you, God. Whatever holds people back, God, I pray that you would would break that chain and you would move them, God, from the law of sin and death into the law of life, God, so that there would be no condemnation. Lord, as I think about people I know in that old realm, God, it breaks my heart. I pray that they would listen to this sermon and these words that you have left for us. And they would make a decision to have life forevermore. The best life. Not now, God, but forever. Thank you, Jesus, for being willing to die so that I might live. In your name, amen.